chapter twenty five part two of pierre or the ambiguities by herman melville this librivox recording is in the public domain lucy isabel and pierre pierre and his book and Chiladas so beforehand he despised those laurels which in the very nature of things can never be impartially bestowed but while thus all the earth was depopulated of ambition for him still circumstances had put him in the attitude of an eager contender for renown so beforehand he felt the unrevealable sting of receiving either plaudits or censures equally unsought for and equally loathed there given so beforehand he felt the pyramidical scorn of the genuine loftiness for the whole infinite company of infinitesimal critics his was the scorn which thinks it not worth the while to be scornful those he most scorned never knew it in that lonely little closet of his pierre foretasted all that this world hath either of praise or dispraise and thus foretasting both goblets anticipatingly hurled them both in its teeth all panegyric all denunciation all criticism of any sort would come too late for pierre but man does never give himself up thus a doorless and shutterless house for the four loosened winds of heaven to howl through without still additional dilapidations much oftener than before pierre laid back in his chair with the deadly feeling of faintness much oftener than before came staggering home from his evening walk and from sheer bodily exhaustion economized the breath that answered the anxious inquiries as to what might be done for him and as if all the leagued spiritual inveteracies and malices combined with his general bodily exhaustion were not enough a special corporeal affliction now descended like a skyhawk upon him his incessant application told upon his eyes they became so affected that some days he wrote with the lids nearly closed fearful of opening them wide to the light through the lashes he peered upon the paper which so seemed fretted with wires sometimes he blindly wrote with his eyes turned away from the paper thus unconsciously symbolizing the hostile necessity and distaste the former whereof made of him this most unwilling state's prisoner of letters as every evening after his day's writing was done the proofs of the beginning of his work came home for correction isabel would read them to him they were replete with errors but preoccupied by the thronging and undiluted pure imaginings of things he became impatient of such minute net-like torments he randomly corrected the worst and let the rest go jeering with himself at the rich harvest thus furnished to the entomological critics but at last he received a tremendous interior intimation to hold off to be still from his unnatural struggle in the earlier progress of his book he had found some relief in making his regular evening walk through the greatest thoroughfare of the city that so the utter isolation of his soul might feel itself the more intensely from the incessant jogglings of his body against the bodies of the hurrying thousands then he began to be sensible of more fancying stormy nights than pleasant ones for then the great thoroughfares were less thronged and the innumerable shop awnings flapped and beat like schooners broad sails in a gale and the shutters banged like lashed bulwarks and the slates fell hurtling like displaced ships blocked from aloft stemming such tempests through the deserted streets pierre felt a dark triumphant joy that while others had crawled in fear to their kennels he alone defied the storm admiral whose most vindictive peltings of hellstones striking his iron frame fiery furnace of a body 
melted into soft dew and so harmlessly trickled from off him by and by of such howling pelting nights he began to bend his steps down the dark narrow side streets in quest of the more secluded and mysterious tap-rooms there he would feel a singular satisfaction in sitting down all dripping in a chair ordering his half-pint of ale before him and drawing over his cap to protect his eyes from the light ay the varied faces of the social castaways who here had their haunts from the bitterest midnights but at last he began to feel a distaste for even these and now nothing but the utter night desolation of the obscurest warehousing lanes would content him or be at all sufferable to him among these he had now been accustomed to wind in and out every evening till one night as he paused a moment previous to turning about for home a sudden unwonted and all-pervading sensation seized him he knew not where he was he did not have any ordinary life feeling at all he could not see though instinctively putting his hand to his eyes he seemed to feel that the lids were open then he was sensible of a combined blindness and vertigo and staggering before his eyes a million green meteors danced he felt his foot tottering upon the curb he put out his hands and knew no more for the time when he came to himself he found that he was lying crosswise in the gutter dabbled with mud and slime he raised himself to try if he could stand but the fit was entirely gone immediately he quickened his steps homeward forbearing to rest or pause at all on the way lest that rush of blood to his head consequent upon his sudden cessation from walking should again smite him down this circumstance warned him away from those desolate streets lest the repetition of the fit should leave him there to perish by night in unknown and unsuspected loneliness but if that terrible vertigo had been also intended for another and deeper warning he regarded such added warning not at all but again plied heart and brain as before but now at last since the very blood in his body had in vain rebelled against his titanic soul now the only visible outward symbols of that soul his eyes did also turn downright traitors to him and with more success than the rebellious blood he had abused them so recklessly that now they absolutely refused to look on paper he turned them on paper and they blinked and shut the pupils of his eyes rolled away from him in their own orbits he put his hand up to them and sat back in his seat then without saying one word he continued there for his usual term suspended motionless blank but next morning it was some few days after the arrival of lucy still feeling that a certain downright infatuation and no less is both unavoidable and indispensable in the composition of any great deep book or even any wholly unsuccessful attempt at any great deep book next morning he returned to the charge but again the pupils of his eyes rolled away from him in their orbits and now a general and nameless torpor some horrible foretaste of death itself seemed stealing upon him chapter four during this state of semi-unconsciousness or rather trance a remarkable dream or vision came to him the actual artificial objects around him slid from him and were replaced by a baseless yet more imposing spectacle of natural scenery but though a baseless vision in itself this airy spectacle assumed very familiar features to pierre it was the phantasmagoria of the mount of the titans a singular height standing quite detached in a wide solitude not far from the grand range of dark blue hills encircling his ancestral manor say what some poets will nature is not so much her own ever sweet interpreter 
as the mere supplier of that cunning alphabet whereby selecting and combining as he pleases each man reads his own peculiar lesson according to his own peculiar mind and mood thus a high aspiring but most moody disappointed bard chancing once to visit the meadows and beholding that fine eminence christened it by the name it ever after bore completely extinguishing its former title the delectable mountain one long ago bestowed by an old baptist farmer an hereditary admirer of bunyan and his most marvellous book from the spell of that name the mountain never afterward escaped for now gazing upon it by the light of those suggestive syllables no poetical observer could resist the apparent felicity of the title for as if indeed the immemorial mount would fain adapt itself to its so recent name some people said that it had insensibly changed its pervading aspect within a score or two of winters nor was this strange conceit entirely without foundation seeing that the annual displacements of huge rocks and gigantic trees were continually modifying its whole front and general contour on the north side where it fronted the old manor-house some fifteen miles distant the height viewed from the piazza of a soft haze canopied summer's noon presented a long and beautiful but not entirely inaccessible-looking purple precipice some two thousand feet in air and on each hand sideways sloping down to lofty terraces of pastures those hillside pastures be it said were thickly sown with a small white amaranthine flower which being irreconcilably distasteful to the cattle and wholly rejected by them and yet continually multiplying on every hand did by no means contribute to the agricultural value of those elevated lands insomuch that for this cause the disheartened dairy tenants of that part of the manor had petitioned their lady landlord for some abatement in their annual tribute of upland grasses in the juny load rolls of butter in the october crock and steers and heifers on the october hoof with turkeys in the christmas sleigh the small white flower it is our bane the imploring tenants cried the aspiring amaranth every year it climbs and adds new terraces to its sway the immortal amaranth it will not die but last year's flowers survive to this the terraced pastures grow glittering white and in warm june still show like banks of snow fit token of the sterileness the amaranth begets then free us from the amaranth goodly or be pleased to abate our rent now on a somewhat nearer approach the precipice did not belie its purple promise from the manorial piazza that sweet imposing purple promise which seemed fully to vindicate the bunyanish old title originally bestowed but showed the profuse aerial foliage of a hanging forest nevertheless coming still more nigh long and frequent rents among the mass of leaves revealed horrible glimpses of dark dripping rocks and mysterious mouths of wolfish caves struck by this most unanticipated view the tourist now quickened his impulsive steps to verify the change by coming into direct contact with so chameleon a height as he would now speed on the lower ground which from the manor-house piazza seemed all a grassy level suddenly merged into a very long and weary acclivity slowly rising close up to the precipice's base so that the efflorescent grasses rippled against it as the efflorescent waves of some great swell or long rolling billow ripple against the water-line of a steep gigantic warship on the sea and as among the rolling sea-like sands of egypt disordered rows of broken sphinxes led to the chiapian pyramid itself so this long acclivity was thickly strewn with enormous rocky masses grotesque in shape and with wonderful features on them 
which seemed to express that slumbering intelligence visible in some recumbent beasts beasts whose intelligence seems struck dumb in them by some sorrowful and inexplicable spell nevertheless round and round those still enchanted rocks hard by their utmost rims and in among their cunning crevices the misanthropic hill-scaling goat nibbled his sweetest food for the rocks so barren in themselves distilled a subtle moisture which fed with greenness all things that grew about their igneous marge quitting those recumbent rocks you still ascended toward the hanging forest and piercing within its lowermost fringe then suddenly you stood transfixed as a marching soldier confounded at the sight of an impregnable redoubt where he had fancied it a practicable vault to his courageous thews cunningly masked hitherto by the green tapestry of the interlacing leaves a terrific towering palisade of dark mossy massiness confronted you and trickling with unevaporable moisture distilled upon you from its beetling brow slow thunder showers of water drops chill as the last dews of death now you stood and shivered in that twilight though it were high noon and burning august down the meads all round and round the grim scarred rocks rallied and re-rallied themselves shot up protruded stretched swelled and eagerly reached forth on every side bristlingly radiating with a hideous repellingness tossed and piled and indiscriminate among these like bridging rifts of logs up jammed in alluvial rushing streams of far arkansas or like great masts and yards of overwhelmed fleets hurled high and dashed amain all splintering together on hovering ridges of the atlantic sea you saw the melancholy trophies which the north wind championing the unquenchable quarrel of the winter had wrested from the forests and dismembered them on their own chosen battleground in barbarous disdain mid this spectacle of wide and wanton spoil insular noises of falling rocks would boomingly explode upon the silence and fright all the echoes which ran shrieking in and out among the caves as wailing women and children in some assaulted town stark desolation ruin merciless and ceaseless chills and gloom all here lived a hidden life curtained by that cunning purpleness which from the piazza of the manor-house so beautifully invested the mountain once called delectable but now styled titanic beaten off by such undreamed-of glooms and steeps you now sadly retraced your steps and mayhap went skirting the inferior sideway terraces of pastures where the multiple and most sterile inodorous immortalness of the small white flower furnished no aliment for the mild cow's meditative cud but here and there you still might smell from afar the sweet aromaticness of clumps of catnip that dear farmhouse herb soon you would see the modest verdure of the plant itself and wheresoever you saw that sight old foundation stones and rotting timbers of log-houses long extinct would also meet your eye their desolation illy hid by the green solicitudes of the unemigrating herb most fitly named the catnip since like the unrunagate cat though all that's human forsake the place that plant will long abide long bask and bloom on the abandoned hearth illy hid for every spring the amaranthine and celestial flower gained on the mortal household herb for every autumn the catnip died but never an autumn made the amaranth to wane the catnip and the amaranth man's earthly household peace and the ever encroaching appetite for god no more now you sideways followed the sad pasture skirt but took your way adown the long declivity fronting the mystic height in midfield again you paused among the recumbent sphinx-like shapes thrown off from the rocky steep 
you paused fixed by a form defiant a form of awfulness you saw enceladus the titan the most potent of all the giants writhing from out the imprisoning earth turbaned with upborne moss he writhed still though armless resisting with his whole striving trunk the pelion and the ossa hurled back at him turbaned with upborne moss he writhed still turning his unconquerable front toward that majestic mount eternally in vain assailed by him and which when it had stormed him off had heaved his undolphable incubus upon him and deridingly left him there to bay out his ineffectual howl to pierre this wondrous shape had always been a thing of interest though hitherto all its latent significance had never fully and intelligibly smitten him in his earlier boyhood a strolling company of young collegian pedestrians had chanced to light upon the rock and struck with its remarkableness had brought a score of picks and spades and dug round it to unearth it and find whether indeed it were a demoniac freak of nature or some stern thing of antediluvian art accompanying this eager party pierre first beheld that deathless son of terror at that time in its untouched natural state the statue presented nothing but the turbaned head of igneous rock rising from out the soil with its unabasable face turned upward toward the mountain and the bull-like neck clearly defined with distorted features scarred and broken and a black brow mocked by the upborne moss enceladus there subterraneously stood fast frozen into the earth at the junction of the neck spades and picks soon heaved part of his ossa from him till at last a circular well was opened round him to the depth of some thirteen feet at that point the wearied young collegians gave over their enterprise in despair with all their toil they had not yet come to the girdle of enceladus but they had bared good part of his mighty chest and exposed his mutilated shoulders and the stumps of his once audacious arms thus far uncovering his shame in that cruel plight they had abandoned him leaving stark naked his in vain indignant chest to the defilements of the birds which for untold ages had cast their foulness on his vanquished crest not unworthy to be compared with that leaden titan wherewith the art of marcy and the broad-flung pride of bourbon enriched the enchanted gardens of versailles and from whose still twisted mouth for sixty feet the waters yet upgush in elemental rivalry with those etna flames of old asserted to be the malicious breath of the borne-down giant not unworthy to be compared with that leaden demigod piled with costly rocks and with one bent wrenching knee protruding from the broken bronze not unworthy to be compared with that bold trophy of high art this american enceladus wrought by the vigorous hand of nature itself it did go farther than compare it did far surpass that fine figure moulded by the inferior skill of man marcy gave arms to the eternally defenceless but nature more truthful performed an amputation and left the impotent titan without one serviceable ball and socket above the thigh such was the wild scenery the mount of titans and the repulsed group of heaven assaulters with enceladus in their midst shamefully recumbent at its base such was the wild scenery which now to pierre in his strange vision displaced the four blank walls the desk and camp-bed and domineered upon his trance but no longer petrified in all their ignominious attitudes the herded titans now sprung to their feet flung themselves up the slope and anew battered at the precipice's unresounding wall foremost among them all he saw a moss-turbaned armless giant who despairing of any other mode of wreaking his immitigable hate turned his vast trunk into a battering ram and hurled his own arched-out ribs again and yet again against 
the invulnerable steep enceladus it is enceladus pierre cried out in his sleep that moment the phantom faced him and pierre saw enceladus no more but on the titan's armless trunk his own duplicate face and features magnifiedly gleamed upon him with prophetic discomfiture and woe with trembling frame he started from his chair and woke from that ideal horror to all his actual grief chapter five nor did pierre's random knowledge of the ancient fables fail still further to elucidate the vision which so strangely had supplied a tongue to muteness but that elucidation was most repulsively fateful and foreboding possibly because pierre did not leap the final barrier of gloom possibly because pierre did not wilfully wrest some final comfort from the fable did not flog this stubborn rock as moses his and force even aridity itself to quench his painful thirst thus smitten the mount of titans seems to yield this following stream old titan's self was the son of incestuous kellus and terra the son of incestuous heaven and earth and titan married his mother terra another and accumulatively incestuous match and thereof enceladus was one issue so enceladus was both the son and grandson of an incest and even thus there had been born from the organic blended heavenliness and earthliness of pierre another mixed uncertain heaven aspiring but still not wholly earth emancipated mood which again by its terrestrial taint held down to its terrestrial mother generated there the present doubly incestuous enceladus within him so that the present mood of pierre that reckless sky assaulting mood of his was nevertheless on one side the grandson of the sky for it is according to eternal fitness that the precipitated titan should still seek to regain his paternal birthright even by fierce escalade wherefore whoso storms the sky gives best proof he came from thither but whatso crawls contented in the moat before that crystal fort shows it was born within that slime and there forever will abide recovered somewhat from the after-spell of this wild vision folded in his trance pierre composed his front as best he might and straightway left his fatal closet concentrating all the remaining stuff in him he resolved by an entire and violent change and by a wilful act against his own most habitual inclinations to wrestle with the strange malady of his eyes this new death-fiend of the trance and this inferno of his titanic vision and now just as he crossed the threshold of the closet he writhingly strove to assume an expression intended to be not uncheerful though how indeed his countenance at all looked he could not tell for dreading some insupportably dark revealments in his glass he had of late wholly abstained from appealing to it and in his mind he rapidly conned over what indifferent disguising or light-hearted gamesome things he should say when proposing to his companions the little design he cherished and even so to grim enceladus the world the gods had chained for a ball to drag at his or freighted feet even so that globe put forth a thousand flowers whose fragile smiles disguised his ponderous load End of book twenty five part two